If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Good morning, glad to see you all. Uh, we're in week two of a series. If you're brand new here, here's what that means. Um, we we kind of teach in, um, in multiple weeks of one topic, uh, mainly because uh, 
I talked too long already, and if you want me to cover an entire topic in one week, uh, you would be in big trouble. We'd be, you know, shuffling in pizza for lunch and capriottis for dinner and whatever that is. And so um, if we've met, uh, I am a king of a long answer, and I'm sorry about that. And so even uh, what we do is we kind of divide up through the scriptures or a topic and kind of work through it. And we're in the middle of uh, this really, really hefty topic called the Holy Spirit, okay? And uh, while I can't cover everything you, in fact, we'll cover very little of what we talked about last week, I would recommend if you're brand new here, definitely worth your time to go back to uh, clcfamily.church and, you know, listen for 50, 60 minutes about this, this role of the Spirit. And it is very complicated, and it's really complicated because the Spirit we sit, would say is God. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament refers to the Spirit as another one just like himself, and he refers to him as a he, meaning he is not some impersonal power, but like a powerful person. There's something really, really neat that we got to figure out here at the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be really, really helpful for us today. So if you're brand new to the church thing, uh, this is going to help you kind of understand uh, this God that all these people were singing to, and what makes this God so unique from all the other gods. And you're like, yeah, I've heard this, like, this thing called the Trinity, and it's like, is it three gods, or is it one God? Yes. Uh, is it three persons, or one person? Uh, yes. You know, it's all this kind of complicated thing. Oh, so it's this three-headed monster with one body? No. So it's one plus one plus one equals one, yep, uh, all sorts of complicated, right? And I would just offer you one quick thing there, and it's um, while this is beyond um, our ability to kind of cognitively or, you know, in our mentally understand all this, so is everything else. So is um, how photosynthesis started. So is the notes on a piano and how there's only seven and different things. So is the colors and the, and the, you know, the color wheel, why are those the ones? So is history and science, all of it, if you really, really study it to the uh, math, by the way, um, all of it, when you keep studying it to the deepest level of the uh, discipline, it, it, it's all really complicated. So it makes sense if all that's really complicated. The God who created all that would also be really, really complicated. But here's what I do want you to understand about um, the Holy Spirit as it relates to God the Father, God the Son today is the way that we refer to God um, in the Bible as, as the Trinity, this triune God. And by that, here's what I'm saying. There's actually this God that exists in three unique persons, right? Um, we would say it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that's just kind of how we would, would explain all that stuff, and that is complicated, and I get that it's complicated, and yet um, it's worth kind of working through and considering, and so here's what we got, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, and this is why this is important, is every other worldview out there, okay, every other worldview starts with, um, a particularly religious one, starts with a God, right, a God, who somehow was, always was, and you go, well, why did he decide to create uh, humans and, you know, creation and I mean, at some point you got to go, well, because he was bored, he was lonely, uh, you know, he was insecure maybe, and so this God who always was decided that he didn't want to be by himself, and so he um, created humans, and then he started to love them or started to be merciful, but before we existed, he wasn't loving because there was no object of that love, and so he just existed, and his first move in the world was all-powerful, so you got all—so it's all-power, and then maybe eventually love, so you got this, you know, this idea of a— a monotheistic God, this one God, and that God would have started by himself and would have um, potentially created us for some really strange reasons. For now, we're, it's our job to make our codependent God feel okay. 
right? You understand how overwhelming that would be? And then there's other worldviews that would be polytheistic, and this is not polytheistic because those are like equal gods with all their same, you know, they have all their own agendas, right? You know, the God of the sun is caring about the sun. The God of the fire is caring about the sun. fire. The God of fertility is caring about whether or not you get pregnant. The God of the water is making sure that the water levels are good, right? They're not all, they're all different gods in that, and so they're kind of at war with each other. They're not really unified, and that's why you can read through Greek mythology and go, uh-oh, these gods are mad at each other, right? And so this polytheistic view of God gets really complicated because it explains that all the turmoil in our world is a result of these gods not getting along, right? You know what that's like to grow up in a home where that's the case with your parents. Now imagine if that's God or the gods that do that. And so it makes this worldview, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this triune God who always was different, is here's what that means. That means before we ever existed, there was already a plan. Before he ever existed, there was already a unified God, different, distinct, diverse, and yet unified around who they were and what they were doing. And so a couple things really important there is before we existed, God was fine. He didn't need us. He didn't need us to be happy. He didn't need us to be satisfied. He didn't need us to feel loved. You see, he, was, he had all that perfectly, all that perfectly in the beginning in the triune God. He was completely loved completely cared for, and there is a perfect plan already in place for that God. Only, only worldview where this is the case. And then you go, well, why in the world would that God decide to bring us into it, right? Now, hear, hear me. It's not because he thought that he, he would complete him, right? I mean, many of us made this decision. Uh, maybe some of us came about it the wrong way, but we decided to have children, not because we thought it would make life easier, right? Do you remember those days? Two incomes, no kids. Oh was so nice. What'd you do with all your time? You slept, and you traveled well, and you ate good, right? And your house, your house, it was clean. It was clean. It didn't have just dirty boogers and all sorts of stuff just smudged all over the walls. You know what I'm talking about. You had nice, clean baseboards, and you didn't have to work hard to keep them there, right? That's just how life happened. You slept, and you and your spouse got along, and everything was just glorious, and then you ushered in kids. It's not like you thought life would get better. So why did you do it? Because you knew that there was something really neat about inviting this this new person into this world that you can love and care for. And it really gives us a good understanding of God because in the beginning, God was, had infinite love. Him, his son, the Holy Spirit, always were. They loved each other perfectly. And they had not only enough love for each other, they had infinite love to give, right? You had one kid, and then the next time you had another kid, you're able to love that one as well, right? All of a sudden, you go, I go from one to two, and all of a sudden, you can, you just, it's not like you like have to muster up more love. It's just there. It's just like this infinite thing, and that existed with God. And so you know how that works. If you have more than you need, right? If someone gives you, you know, three of the same things for your birthday, and you don't get a receipt and can't take it back, what do you do? You don't throw in the trash. You find someone else who can use it, right? Some of you even have this, you find this really great coupon, right? And you're like, I don't need, you know, 500 rolls of toilet paper, but if I can buy one, get 72 free, you buy it, and then you start handing out the toilet paper, right? Because you just know that if you have more than you need, and people have less than they need, then it makes sense that you would just share it. Right? And so this gives us kind of a foundation of how we can see God as this triune God who is perfect and loving and gracious and everything was good. And he had infinite love available. So what does he do with it? He creates an object, a human, mankind, to pour out and share his love with us. So when we look at creation, what I want you to see here is this kind of, this idea that this creation, the fact that we're here, the best explanation we can have is an act of God the Father's will. So if I can explain it, probably not in a perfect way, but it'd be like this. It'd be like God decides to call a dinner meeting with his son and the Holy Spirit, and they're sitting around the table, and he's going, I think it's time. 
I just think it's time. Look, it's going to get messy. We're going to get our hearts broken. We're not, you know, but I think it's time for us finally, finally, like you did with kids, right? Finally to bring mankind, humanity into this so God speaks it into existence. And in that you see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And it says something weird that God said, let there be light. And God started speaking, which um, we find out in the New Testament that it says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God, with God, and the word was God, and the word made its dwelling among us. Meaning that word, that word was actually Jesus. Complicated, and we'll get there later. But there's this idea that even those first two verses, you see a couple things. God ushers it in. He brings it forward, and so he initiates creation. Right? He initiates it in this triune God. He initiates it. Why? Because he had infinite love for you. And I hope as we work through a lot of stuff today, I hope that's what you hear more than anything else. He had infinite love for you, not for the person sitting next to you. That's true as well. I do not think that's what God wants you to focus on today is how this affects your neighbor sitting next to you. He had infinite love for you, okay? You're going to hear this over and over again. You're going to see how you can receive that. He had infinite love to pour out for you. And here's the real complication with that. You go, well, I just don't feel that, right? I don't Maybe I can possibly believe it, but I don't feel it. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's the most beautiful part of this series. Usually when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you talk about his power. But long before you talk about his power, his power, you got to see his love. And so let me explain to you why you don't feel it. Same reason that you and I hurt each other. The same reason that I've disappointed you. Same reason that you've disappointed your spouse. The same reason that sometimes you've messed up as a parent. You see, all this is a result of this. If, if God, in an act of his will, right, ushers in all of humanity, here's the reality. God creates this man, and by the way, he was a dead man that God breathes life into, right? And all of a sudden, Adam comes to be, and the first man is created, right? And what we see when this first man is created, God goes, enjoy, 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 enjoy my love. It actually says in Genesis 3 that God walked in the garden in the cool of the night. Enjoy it. So beautiful. Soak it up. Enjoy this love. Have dinner with me every night right? In this beautiful land. And he says, the only thing I don't want you to do is stay away from that tree. Stay away from that fruit. It's not good for you. It will cause you pain and sorrow. It will lead you to death. And then that man goes, oh, we could do everything that the God of the universe ushered in and created us. And they would have had no doubt that God created them because they weren't and then they were and God was there with them. And then that somehow, the same way we do it, they just go, God, we like our own plan better than yours. And what you see in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is this devastation that has wreaked havoc in our entire world. And it's that. It's that we have said, not just Adam, not just Eve, but all humanity, all mankind, all humankind, right, has said at some point, in some way, every single person in this room, God, we like our plan better than yours. In fact, God, not only do we like our plan better than yours, we trust our plan better than yours. Now, some of us have done it overtly where we've actually literally said that to God. Don't care about what you want, God. You've not done anything that I needed you to do. Didn't meet my expectations the way that I wanted you to meet them. So some of you have done that kind of deal, like in that kind of way, right? And others of us more overt. Like you're just going, I just don't believe God exists, so why would I trust that plan, right? And so you had this whole reality of that. So we see is just this brokenness in our world. And guys, there is, there's no greater week to kind of say, yep, I, I've experienced that. Many of you in your church, this church have experienced it and this week was filled with uh, emails and calls from folks whose um, cancer came out of remission, right? Like um, folks who didn't make it into the last hope of a clinical trial. Marriages where finally the divorce paper showed up. I'm just telling you this week, like 
when I tell you that our world is broken and fallen, uh, this is, you have actually probably more trouble believing this idea that the triune God would create this than you would have trouble believing that mankind is in a mess. Right? And here's what's so crazy. And I'm not talking about out there, right? I'm not talking about all the mess out there. I'm just talking about even in here, in this place, and this world, and our church, with our elders, with our staff, with our volunteers, there is just so much brokenness and so much pain and so much sorrow if you were here Wednesday night for an evening with the elders just trying to work through, hey, what's going on with our church? What the plans? You just, you felt this fallen nature in this place. You just felt it. Some of you did. You, you felt like, what? Wait, I thought we were all on the same team, going the same way, and it just feels so disjointed at times and so overwhelming. And even I'd use the word oppressed, right? There's just that, and, and you're going, man, that, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, not just out there, not the bad guys, not the people who sit on the other side of the aisle, the people who clap too much or the State of the Union or the people who don't clap enough, right? It's not just out there. It's in here, and you're going, man, this whole world just feels fallen and hard, right? The people you love the most, your spouse, your kids, are the ones who have done the most damage to your own heart, and you're going, how in the world did it get here? Right, even uh, this week, just candidly with you, um, one of our beloved staff members stepped down. You, you love Blake. I love Blake. And deeply painful, deeply painful, the, Blake, the one who leads our coffee shop. And I'll tell you, uh, there have been so many tears shed and so much confusion and hurt in it, guys. And just fallen and broken. And while I hope to offer you some solace in this and point you to a place, not me, not our elders, not our staff, not even to Blake and Farley, his wife, and this. It's, I'm going to point you to the Spirit, but it's complicated because we have a fallen, broken world, and I'm going to maybe be able to give you some insight to how that happens and how we can see some resolve. Like, I, I believe in a God of restoration and redemption, and we'll talk about that. I get to spend two and a half hours um, with Blake on, and Farley on Friday night shedding tears together of the pain of going on here and it's going on in our worlds and where we've missed and how we've all missed and just just a mess and, and so stay with me as we work through the sermon I'll, I'll get back to that in a brief moment it might not be the bow you want and might not be all the resolve and all the information you want but let's tell you this this world it is everywhere and in every way and there is just deep pain in it and so wherever you're at in that journey whether you believe in this or don't I would just say the reality of what you experience is this that our world is broken and every single human is broken. And every person you love and care for will at some point fail you as it comes to your expectations of them. And it is painful. And if that's the end of the story, and that's the crazy thing is, that's not the end of the story. But this is so much of what the story's talked about on the news, in the world, is this story. Maybe there was some way it was supposed to be, and there, but yet there's this way that there is. And there just seems to be this giant gap here of going, well, that just really stinks. Do we just scream and yell at each other? Do we just feel this pain? Is there no hope? Right? And so we see in the scriptures that God actually says and through this guy named Paul, this apostle in the New Testament, historical figure, real man, he says, the wages of sin is death. There is a deep, painful consequence to this. And if that's the end, this is really, really a terrible way to go out. And it's a waste of our time here today, right? If this is it, if it's just we're going to feel the pain and sorrow of this, the wages of sin is death. But then that scripture says this, but the gift of God, hear me, but the gift of God but the gift of God, hear me, gift, not something you earn, not something you can conjure up, not something you can manufacture, not something you can dig deep enough to find. The gift of God, it says this, is eternal life, and it says, through Jesus 
Christ, his son, right? And so here's the beauty of the story is there is a big chasm here going, yep, we all are feeling it. But there is a solution. The solution is this, that Jesus, literally God's son, steps on this earth and pays a price that we deserve to pay. He lives a life we should have lived, paid the death that we should have died, right? And you're going, I just don't get that. That's so weird. And I know, I know, I spent so much time going, hey, don't you see this? This is so simple. We are so broken. Our world's so broken, but there is hope. You're like, yeah, maybe cognitively, maybe it makes sense that I couldn't earn my salvation, that I couldn't get back to God, and so it'd have to be God to get back to me. And okay, maybe, maybe, okay, you've convinced me. Josh, I'll pray the prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm gonna call you, Lord. Come into my life. Make me a better Christian. Help me do better. Fix my marriage. And you've prayed the prayer. Heal me from that addiction. You've prayed the prayer, and yet you cognitively have started, this has started to make sense to you, but experientially, nothing's really changed. Right? And so you hear the story that if, if, if creation is an act of God's will, right, that he initiates it, and the fall is an act of human will, we initiate it. And redemption, that literally means bought back, welcome back to the family, is an act of Jesus' will. He does all the work. And many of you know this. You've heard the story, right? We've talked about it. We've shown up for Christmas. We've heard that God stepped in as a baby. Beautiful story, baby that grows up into a man in great humility. We've gotten later in Jesus' life, Good Friday, where he dies for this, right? You got that part. And then we got the, 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 the resurrection, the Easter story. We go, maybe it's all true. Maybe it's all true. We've all celebrated that in this beautiful way. And yet for most of us, if not all of us, Probably 90% of us in this room, we've gone, wow, we believe this and believe it to be true. We haven't actually experienced it. And you've bought this lie that maybe one day you'll experience it if it's true when you get to heaven. Like maybe one day we'll have unity. Maybe one day there'll be reconciliation. Maybe one day I will actually feel and experience God's love and not just think it. And I just would tell you that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. You see, because the third part of this, this trinity, this triune God, the Holy Spirit, this is so beautiful. His goal is not just to give you some cute power so that you believe God exists. His goal, hear me, with everything, his goal is to make you feel and understand and know his love. So this is the way you got to see it, right? I'm from the South, um, so little redneck, talk funny. And you know what we know is true in the South? That uh, professional wrestling is real, Right? just real. Like, I don't, like, I'm not talking about your UFC or your boxing, that fake stuff where they have all these rules. I'm talking about a type of wrestling where you can pull out the metal chairs, right? And so it's real. It's real. It's real. Grew up watching it. Grew up, I can remember going to my first wrestling, professional wrestling show. It was, um, I think Lex Luthor was there, the Four Horsemen, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This means nothing to any of you. I'm just so redneck here. And I can remember it was in a, it was in a, it was in a gymnasium in Athens, Georgia, and I can remember touching Lex Luthor's um, sweaty shoulder. And I remember, like, clear as day, second grader, looking at my dad and saying, I'll never wash this hand again, right? And I've kept that promise. <laughs> right? But in wrestling, you know how wrestling works, right? Especially the best ones are the tag team wrestling, you know what I'm talking about? And so what happens is something happens, and there's, like, this moment where when you tag, two people can, like, stay in for a second. And you know how it works. Like, there's the good team, the team you love, the good guys, and they're fighting, and the good guy's just getting beat down. Now, beat down, beat down. He's bloody, and he's beat down. And it looks like it's over. It looks like there is no hope, right? And these two guys are double teaming. It doesn't seem fair. And it just seems like this is just how it's going to go. It's terrible. Nothing's going to get any better. And what happens is that guy like, kind of crawls and falls. And he does this weird thing. And if you've ever seen wrestling, you know it. Um, and if, if you've never seen wrestling, just imagine that you've been home with the kids all day. And your spouse shows up. It's the exact same thing, right? And so you're like sliding out. And you're like, you, you, he tosses his hand back. And all of a sudden, it tags in. And the guy with all the energy and all the strength, you know what happens. He comes in. And he's like, he's beating him down. It's like this big 
big like crescendo of a moment where this whole thing kind of ushers in and the team that you thought was going to lose comes in with all this power and all this might. You got to see this. And so what we see in the scriptures is Jesus, he comes back to life. He sends 40 days with his disciples. Then he goes, no, but I got to go. They're going, why do you got to go? And he's like, no, 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 I got to go. And they're like, wait, we thought you were going to lose. Then no, you're going to win. And no, you're going to leave us. And they were devastated. And he says, no, I got to go. And you should be glad I go because what I'm about to tag in, what I'm about to tag in, what I'm about to reach out and tag in, it's going to come in and it's going to be this might and his spirit is going to fall in this place and it's going to be around you and it's going to be in you. And if you want any hope in this world, if you want any solace and peace and joy and love in this world, it is not going to happen with me beside you guys. It's going to happen with the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so what we see happens, we see this promise that Jesus makes and then he kind of ascends up into heaven. And we find in Acts chapter 1, and they're going, oh, what are we going to do here? How's that going to work? What's going to happen? And they kind of just stand there, and all of a sudden, this angel show up. I told you this last week, and the angels are wearing all white. Really helpful. So we know it was before Labor Day, for those of you who care, right? <laughs> the angel shows up and says, hey, why are y'all doing this? And these guys show up, and they say, you got work to do. And so then they go back to work. And this was on day 40, day 41. And we know that there's this next moment that's about to happen. It's called Pentecost. It's not a new story. They've been celebrating it for a long, long time. Well after the Passover, that's the story of God delivering the Egyptians out of bondage, or the Israelites out of bondage and slavery from the Egyptians. So this is kind of like the first tag team story where it looked like they're going to be enslaved forever. They tag God in to this really strange sense. So they they um, actually... Uh, slaughter these innocent lambs that go God we understand that innocence has to be shed for the consequences of our sin and we understand that blood has to be shed and there's this moment in the Old Testament where they obey God they put this blood over the doorpost and there's this moment that's called the Passover where God passes over and doesn't inflict any punishment on those who trusted him and from that point forward these Israelites every year would celebrate this Passover and then 50 days later that's what Pentecost means 50 days they would have what was called the first fruits festival and this would have been um, where they would have celebrated the first, like the first harvest, wheat, grain, that kind of stuff. And what they, were, what they were celebrating in that moment, they were establishing that they were a nation that God had provided for. So this is going, not only did he free us, he established us as real people in a real nation, a new nation of people with, with God as the, the leader, with God as the king, with God as the Lord. So every year, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they would have celebrated that. And so post-Passover, they're about to celebrate this again. Now remember, what I want you to see here is if God, by breathing into life, ushered in creation 1.0, right? What you guys see here is the Holy Spirit, by breathing in life, is ushering in this creation 2.0, this restoration plan. And the way that he does is he kind of goes, I want to establish you as my people. So they, so unique that they had been here in this Pentecost celebrating this first fruits moment, celebrating the fact that they were a nation with God as their Lord and Savior. And they were hopeful that something was going to change. But hear me, they've been waiting now seven to ten days going, well, Jesus said to stay where we are and eventually give us this gift. Now he left, and I don't know what those days look like. They didn't have all the information. They didn't know what to do. They had to sit in this awkward waiting and pain going, we don't know everything. How is God going to work in this? Then in Acts chapter 2, God in his perfect timing, this thing I love about God, I love about Jesus, I love about the Spirit, is he rarely, if ever, shows up early. But hear me, guys, he has never shown up late. So in his perfect time, not what they thought was the perfect time, but in his perfect time, he shows up. And I just want to read to you how this gets ushered in. And as I read this to you, I don't want you to think about what this means corporately. I want you to think about what this means 
individually, like what does this mean for you? What is available to you? What does God want to do in your life and therefore in all of ours, but yours? This is for you. None of this is all strange. The really neat thing is I'm not really um, concerned that I got to convince you of this because what I'm going to tell you is there's a spirit that does that and he is going to, in these moments, continue to whisper in your ear. So just perk your ears up going, I don't believe in that stuff. That's okay. They didn't either. Okay. So just stay with me. Here's what it says. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse one. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, 50 days later, uh, first fruits harvest celebration, they were all together in one place. So they, is this hundred and, there's 120 people there. So about a third, maybe a little less than a third of what's in this room right now. This whole movement starts with 20% of what, or 30% of what's in this room right now, right and so these people would have been the, um, these first followers of Jesus, the disciples. Jesus' mother, Mary's in this group. So these 120 people, they've, they, they, Jesus is gone now for seven to 10 days, and they're sitting there not sure. And they're going, I guess we should continue with business as usual. I guess we should have church again. I guess we should keep going. I guess we should keep doing those things. So here they are in this upper room, and they're all together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly, so this wasn't like that. It was like they're suspicious. They didn't see it coming. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. If you grew up with the King James, you still translate that as mighty rushing wind. It's such a good statement. Rushing, not rushing. You're like, oh, I didn't know the Holy Spirit was rushing. That's strange and scary. No, it's not that, right? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I want to point this out briefly, but it is important. So when God ushers in creation 2.0, I, I need you to see this and understand this. It's external. You understand, like, we live in this world, I live in this world, and I believe this so often that so much of what I need to do, I need to dig down deeper, understand more of what's wrong with me, find out more of my truth and who I'm made. I need to figure out my Enneagram number and my Myers-Briggs, and I need to figure all that out. And I think all that's great stuff for self-awareness, all that kind of stuff, but I think if I can understand myself good enough, understand all the pain that's been happening in my life, and I love that stuff, by the way, guys, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think there's some real good awareness there, but this idea that somehow if we dig deep enough in us, we're going to solve our problems right that the solution to our problems is internal and I would actually say um, the solution uh, the, the, it's actually the exact opposite what our internal problems did to us was lead us to this broken fallen world right so if there's a solution it would be the an antithesis of that it'd be the inverse of that so this is not an internal thing so what you're going to see here is there's going to be this external thing that's going to come in other words the solution to our pain and I will say this here even in trying to work through unity as a church we are going we're trying to chase after God and how in the world do we get off I'd say the solution is not going to be this thing we dig deep down in ourselves and find it's going to be this work that comes externally from us, which is the story of the gospel, that you could not do enough good. You could not earn your way to save yourself. You needed something externally to come in and save you, not just something. The same something that created this world, instituted this world, that has the power of this world would have to be what this is. And so what you see is this mighty rushing wind filled the whole house. Now, it's hard for us to imagine this or consider this. I don't even know what they're talking about bringing a bunch of fans in here. And it's like, no, no, no I think I'd just distract you from truth of the scripture into in this moment there's just this mighty rushing wind so the first thing I want you to see is the solution's not in the interior the solution comes from the exterior it comes from the external and so we see this happen then it says this verse 3 they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them this is scary what's so interesting you'll see throughout the scriptures is the Holy Spirit which cannot be contained is usually described in the New Testament in one if not one or two different ways and sometimes they're paired up and it's fire and wind 
You can watch California every single year. I mean, I grew up, I spent two and a half years in Montana where there was a lack of water a lot of times and fire and wind are a scary formula. They cannot be contained, right? And so God is describing the spirit through, Paul, um, through Luke as one, this wind and ice and fire. Though it's more important than that. It says it actually sits on top of each of their heads. You're going, that's strange. Yep, they were freaked out too. Trust me, it tells us a little bit later. And what we, what's really important here is if you know the story of the Israelites, um, basically they get freed all that captivity, the Passover, all that kind of stuff, and they are promised this new land, and they go to look at it, and they're like, ah, we're not so sure that we can trust you, God. So immediately they say, you know, we'll, we'll be in charge of ourselves again. And so God um, kind of takes a step back and goes, okay, have your way. But God doesn't completely remove himself. He kind of tethers himself to them. They don't know he's there, really, but he's there, and he, they're not, they don't have his full presence. But what he does is he moves day in and day out with them with this little cloud of fire and in fact later you'll see when they establish the tabernacle God's fire will just it's like this um this transient uh tent that goes from place to place that shows God's presence and there's this fire that just would sit up on top of the tabernacle to go God dwells here right and so they knew that God wasn't too far off but they also understood they couldn't experience him they understood cognitively that he loved them but they could not experience him right so this idea that God was close but not within right it was God was close but we couldn't have access to him just just a little bit guarded and all of a sudden you see in this moment this fire no longer is at the edge of the the, the you know the campsite it's not at the or the campground it's not the edge or in some building now it's residing on top of everybody's head going no the spirit is available to every human like this is the gloriousness of the holy spirit is god is not somewhere out there that maybe you can see in here he wants to actually come and dwell within you so you, you see this fire come and it came and it rested see that again on each of them and verse four it says this all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them so this gets complicated. A couple things I'll point out. Don't have a lot of time. I'm not actually going to get into the different roles of speaking in tongues, except for, and this one, what we do know throughout the scriptures, this, this gift that shows up, and I, uh, that continues to show up, always is qualified by having someone who can interpret it. So we know that something about these tongues that happens are about people being able to understand what's being said. So interpretation is really, really important here. So we're going to see that in just a second. You're going to see it pretty, you know, in a, in a pretty neat way of what, what the Spirit does here to help us understand Him and it interprets. But before we get there, we're going to go, well, what is it that the Spirit wants to say? Okay, we understand, like we got last week, that so much of my problem and your problem is that we can get cognitively that God paid the price for us. We know that we're valuable because Jesus died for us. Our value is what someone's willing to pay for us, right? I could try to sell you my Jeep out there for $50,000, and you'd crawl up underneath it and go, wow, there's no floor pans. There's nothing. It's completely rusted out. I'm like, yep, I got Fred Flintstone in there. Like, I have to get the car going with my feet, right? And you go, I'll give you 1500 bucks for that. And I'll go, no, it's worth $50,000. You go, no, it's not. I'll give you 1500 bucks, right? Because what we know is I'm never going to sell for $50,000 because that's not what you're willing to pay for. Value is what someone's willing to pay. And so the beauty of this story is that what is your value? Your value is what someone was willing to pay for you. The God of the universe stepped on this planet and died for you, right? So cognitively, we can get that. But you, you know, mentally. But experientially, it's really, really hard for us to get that. So we're going, no, the role of the Spirit is to help you get that, to receive that, to understand it, and to feel it. You can not only can know that God loves you, you can feel his love, and you go, yeah, that's really hard for me. Me too, and I'm a professional Christian, right? There's something in this we got to figure out. And so what we see here is we understand the Spirit comes, and so we know the Spirit wants us to feel God's love, but here's what else we know. Um, 
One of the things that we see in scriptures, uh, gosh, about two or three, three years earlier, when Jesus is about to usher in this, this new plan. So what's basically what I want you to see here is Jesus is kind of the architect. He's going, this is what's going to happen. Here's how you know it's going to happen. He's going to train all the people, and he's like, then I'm going to go, and then this Holy Spirit is going to come be your guide, right? And when he begins that ministry, he shows up out in the outskirts in this wilderness area where this guy named John the Baptist is preaching and making these great proclamations, saying things like this, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight so all mankind can see God's salvation. He's saying there is salvation coming, right? And so he's saying these things. And what he was doing is he was helping people experientially dealing with this, the brokenness of their lives, brokenness of their addictions, brokenness of their marriages, the brokenness of their dreams, and he was helping people grieve the pain of living in a dying, fallen world. And the way by which he do it is he would acknowledge that God gives mulligans and grace and new days and new hopes. He would quote things like Lamentations that would say, God's mercies are new every morning, right? And so the way by which experientially he was inviting people into this was something called baptism. And these people would declare that they believe God is gracious and that he forgives and that he will send, make a way where there is no way. And so John would help them declare that and find hope that they could start over regardless of what they did today or yesterday. And the way they did it was through baptism. So they would go into the water and then they'd come out, right? They'd be washed of this old life and they'd come out. And it was just water, just water. It was a bath, right? And so Jesus shows up and decides the way that he wants to usher in creation 2.0 is by doing the same thing, baptism. And so he's going to show up. And what he's going to say is he's not baptizing with water the way that John is. He's going to baptize with a spirit, meaning the way that we're cleaned, the way that we're washed, the way that we get a new start is not by this water, this dirty Jordan River water, right? It's through the spirit. And so what happens is Jesus decides to model this, creation 2.0, at the Jordan River, John. And so John baptized him, right? And he comes up out of this water. And all of a sudden, the scriptures say that the, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. This dove descended down. And there was this loud voice. And it said this. This is the first work of the Spirit. You guys see this in creation 2.0. And he says, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Hear me. The role of the Spirit first and foremost in your life is for you to start hearing those words in your own soul. The Son of God, Jesus, became a son of man. So that sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of God. The work of Jesus is to do all the work and pay all the price so that you could be children of God. So hear me. It has nothing to do with your performance, but what God wants you to hear. If there's nothing else you hear today, he wants your spirit to speak into you. He is pleased with you. Hear me. He is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. And you go, no, 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 you don't know me. No, no, he is pleased with you. You know how I know? Because I had a three-day-old boy, Briggs, 11 years ago, and he had baby acne, and his head was still misshapen, and he looked like an alien. You're like, oh, babies are cute. He wasn't then, and most of them aren't, if we're honest, right? And he, I can remember looking at him, but he did have this cute little dimple, and I can remember, like, him taking some, you know, milk, and just having, you know, I'm talking about that milk drunk look. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He's just laid back, and he's got, that, and he had dimples, and so he's just sitting there, and I remember he was sitting in my lap, and he was just, I mean, he was intoxicated on this, right? And he's just laying back, and he's so happy, and kind of giggling in his dreams. It's so cute, but he was ugly, right? And I remember looking at him, and 
I mean, he had kept us up. He was, you know, he wasn't a terrible, he was a good kid, but like, he, he created all sorts of mess in our lives, right? I mean, like, we had to change his diapers. Like, uh, we were grouchy and grumpy, and people wanted to come visit us all the time. or like, leave us alone, like, all this kind of stuff. So it didn't make life any easier. And I can remember just looking at him and just thinking, like, he's done nothing good in our lives. We're going to get all sorts of bills from him, from medical doctors from this point forward, right? He's going to create all sorts of stuff. But in that moment, he did nothing to earn love. And I was looking at him and going, I am so pleased with him. So pleased with him. I can remember looking. He's giggling. I mean, I'm telling you, this is, a, and this is dead serious. He had a really nice little route. We're Southern. We care about our, our clothes. And he had this Ralph Lauren little onesie on. And I was like, oh, he's so cute. And we named him Briggs. That's the last name. That's a Southern thing. And I remember looking at his belly, and it was a little misshapen. I don't know if you've ever played with a basketball so long that it gets this big lump in it, you know, like deformed. Well, his belly had one of those things. Like, there's this big knot. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. And so I'm looking at him. He's all cute. And I start pressing on it. And I pressed, and it just activated something in his belly, and it all shot right out of his diaper all over me. <laughs> you understand? Like, this kid just made a huge mess all over me, and I could not help but look at him and go, this is my boy. Please don't bug him about that. He'll be so embarrassed, okay? This is my boy with whom I'm well pleased. You get that, right? Just because he's my child, we're pleased with him. Like, there's, and we pray it every night. God, would our kids know that there's nothing they could ever do to make us love them anymore or any less? Right, so hear me. The, the first role of the Spirit to go is you are his child and he is pleased with you. Maybe you got it all messed up. Maybe you've misinterpreted his love. But in the beginning, he created you because he had infinite love to give you because he is pleased with you. So the, what creation 2.0 does here is it just reestablishes that God is pleased with you. But Jesus, what we've seen him, that's the beginning of this, right? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to solve it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to do all the right stuff. You could mess up the rest of your life. And this spirit wants you to know that he is pleased with you because you're his child. And the worst thing we have done in this world is to make love conditional in our marriages and in our families. And now we have no idea how to understand that a God has ripped off all the conditions and say, it just doesn't matter. But you know it with your kids, right? That's the beauty of having these children that complicate our lives. It's like in that moment you go, yeah, this is my child with whom I'm well pleased. Now imagine that in perfect infinite wisdom and love and power. Imagine what that's like. And so that's the first role of the Spirit. So the Spirit comes, and that's what it does. But watch what it does. Watch what it does here. And, this, and so the, the Spirit, in verse 5, no, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. These aren't God-fearing Christians. These are religious people. Most of them think that they fear God, and the way that they please God is by not eating shellfish, not working on the Sabbath, right? Following the Ten Commandments. They still think that God's pleasure in them has been their performance. So these are God-fearing Jews. We better perform well so that God, we got to make the sacrifices. We got to do the work so that God will receive us. So these are God-fearing Jews celebrating Pentecost, and he's spirits about the land. And this is what it said, verse 6. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. So if you're going, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. Join the club. We are, we are, we are walking in a very confusing territory. Right? Like, I, this makes no sense that there would be this spirit who's a person who does that. And I'm going, but it's still true. Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't make it less true. And it says this, when they heard the sound, they're in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And now they're going to, now Luke's going to go, let me tell you all the languages. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, um, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Capriotes, <laughs> Pasquales. 
<laughs> Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So there's this moment, 120 people, and hear me, they did not like each other. This wasn't like they were having a family reunion as everybody's happy to see each other, right? They all smell different based on the foods that they ate. This was not a happy room. This was a room filled with disunity. You hear me? Like this wasn't a room where everybody's like, oh, we love each other, everything's perfect, we all agree completely. This was the opposite of harmonious. The first thing I want you to see here is really, really important. Every other worldview can chase down Islam, chase down Judaism. It kind of starts with a God who speaks the language of his people. Hebrew. Right? Got these different languages even written in, in, in their language, their words. There's got these different things. And so all of a sudden what we see here in this moment is God is going, no, 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 there are no dividing lines. There's not someone he's more pleased with. There's not someone he loves more. And this is where I'm going. Like, don't worry about your neighbor here. What he's talking about is you are his pleasure. It's your pleasure. It doesn't matter if you've done everything right. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a long time. It doesn't matter if you've ever prayed a prayer. You are his pleasure. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter who your daddy was, who your grandfather was. It doesn't matter what you did last night that brought you here today. You are his pleasure. Right? And so he establishes this religion. And when he establishes it, he goes, no, no, no. There are no favorites in this. There are no dividing lines. All of you. All of you are my children. So he wants to make sure all of them get this. That no one is excluded. Find another religion where no one is excluded. All nations, all tribes, all tongues. They're all there. So he establishes this. But there's something else going on here that you've got to see. You see... Back in the beginning when God ushered this all in and it wasn't long before the, uh, humankind just wrecked it, right? They go, we like our plan better than yours. And if you just read through Genesis chapter 3, through Genesis chapter 10, it is devastating. Brothers killing each other. Rape, molestation, all sorts of carnage. To the point where it says in Genesis chapter 6 that God looked over the world and he grieved it. He grieved his own world, right? The brokenness of it. And you have grieved your world, right? You've grieved the loss of your animal. You had close friends this week who had to deal with the pain of saying goodbye to their, their dog. They loved, right? And there's so much pain, and yet they are initiating the decision to put that dog asleep. Why? They were grieved by the pain of cancer and pain that this dog is feeling. So they were grieving it. In an act of great love, in that grief, they wiped that dog out of its misery. Right? You know the pain of that. And so it says God looked down the world and just grieved the pain that was in it, the cancer that was just leaking and seeping into the whole world. And so God wipes out a generation. Then he starts with this one guy, Noah. Starts it all over again. And not too long after Noah, it gets started. There's all of a sudden this this group of people that get together and go, we know how to find pleasure. We know how we can find our own value. Let's build a giant tower. So they get together and they start building this tower thinking finally they'll have esteem. It's like us. Let's get that job. Let's get this amount of money in the bank. Let's get that house, right? Once we get there, then finally we'll have it. And God looks again and he grieves and goes, man, they're going to waste all their time and energy thinking this is going to be the thing. And then they're going to get in their life with this big tower. And they're going to be devastated. And then he says something so crazy. He says, but here's what's crazy. If human beings built in my image work really hard together in disunity against, the, against what my creation says, my order says, they can still achieve it. 
And so God has this conversation with the, the Trinity, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and he does something crazy. He thwarts their plans, not because he's a mean God, but because he knew it would destroy them. They'd spend their whole life chasing after this idol that would fail them and would not be able to forgive them. And this is what he does. He does one thing to thwart their plans, to build this tower. You know it as a tower of Babel. You know how he does? He takes away their ability to communicate. This is so profound. He doesn't fire weapons. He doesn't light things on fire. He removes their ability to hear one another. One of the most beautiful things I got to experience this week was for two and a half hours sitting across people that I love who are hurting and in pain. And for two and a half hours, the Holy Spirit allowed us to hear one another. Hear one another. Hear one another. You see, your problems in marriage aren't because the, your spouse did the thing you didn't like. Your problem is because y'all aren't hearing one another. I am convinced the way that you would respond to every single human being would be different if you knew their stories and understood their experiences and their feelings. Right? We know this. We know this. Like in counseling, it's not about what you say. It's about helping people understand what you feel. And you see what happens in, in, in Genesis. What we see is we see that they lose the opportunity to hear one another. Hear one another. Right? We are all broken people filled with the Spirit going, God, we're trying to please you, but we're really bad at it. And what we lose is we lose the opportunity to hear one another. And then when we start trying to listen, we can't help but just take it self-centeredly in the pain that comes at what's being said. And we can't pause and go, Holy Spirit, could you just speak? Right? And so what you see here is not that just a spirit, like this spirit that dwells and says, God is well pleased with you. But he's like, nobody still has a plan too. It's not just about his pleasure. It's about his purpose. And you get both. You get his pleasure and you get his purpose. And all of you do. So if you could pause and just ask the Holy Spirit because he is available to interpret what is being said to hear one another and hear me, hear me, hear me you will never be able to do that on your own you'll never be able to do that on your own you will never be able to hear perfectly you'll never be able to communicate perfectly there is no way that's why that telephone game from 50, 75 years ago where you whispered it had to be in the last you know, 100 years because there weren't telephones before that you know that thing where you start with one thing and by the time it gets to the room it's something else hear me that is because we need the Holy Spirit to hear one another and so for two and a half hours, I just got to sit with Blake and Farley and just hear. And it's like, Holy Spirit, like, you are real and you're active. And somehow we've missed that, guys. And I think about our e evening with the elders and going, man, there's something in this. I know your heart and I love your passion, but we can't hear it and you can't hear it. And this communication is just a mess. And what we see here is the swirly and we need the Spirit. And what it says here is the Spirit comes and dwells on us first to make you feel His pleasure but then to make you understand his purpose. So we got to interpret this and hear this. So watch what happens. It says this, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another. Here's the word. Two questions I want you to ask today before we leave. What does this mean? When you hear something, don't respond, don't react. What does this mean? What am I hearing when I'm reading the scriptures? What does this mean? As you're hearing this now, what does this mean? Not for your neighbor, not for your kid, not for your spouse. What does this mean? But watch this. There's another piece that's really, really dangerous, and we've got to be really careful. I've got to be really careful here. There is this smugness that pops up. There's 120 people that get the experience of God's Spirit landing on them. And watch this. There's still this contempt that still leaks out of people. 120 people in the room, and some of them, however, made fun of them and said, what? Um, they've had too much wine. It's funny. It is funny. I get that it's funny. But that's the thing. There's just this smugness that happens in these pockets. You understand this. This is... This is them saying it to other people, right? There's this conversation where they go, no, God can't do that. The Holy Spirit can't restore. It can't. 
reconcile. I can't redeem. No, no, no. This is, this is just gibberish. Right? And some of you, I get that if you're in that place and going, you're still loved. I want you to come back. I want to work through this because at some point I am confident we'll get to hear each other. Okay? So you see this. Then it says this. Then Peter stood up with the 11. I'm going to move through this fast. You ready for this? Raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Okay? So he's going, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Let me let you hear from God. Okay? So he gets all their attention. Now understand, when he's speaking this, they're all hearing it in their own language. This is amazing. So this is the first thing you want them to understand, and this is so funny. So he stands up. He's like, hey, guys, I want you to hear something spiritual. I want you to hear something spiritual. Listen, listen, listen. And he says this. These people are not drunk. Oh, thanks, Peter. I'm glad you're going to clear that up. As you suppose, but he's going to offer some logic. It's only 9 in the morning. Listen, I understand. I know these people. If this is like 4.35, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and if it were 5 o'clock here, some of these people, maybe that's the case, but right now it's 9 a.m. None of them are drunk, right? And then he's going to say this. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You ready for this? I'm going to read it fast. So he's quoting this Old Testament uh, prophet who uh, these guys would have known and recognized. And this really neat thing and terrible thing happens during the Passover where one of the plagues is God sends locusts to the Egyptians to just eat all their junk, eat all their, like, all their, you know, all their harvest, all their, you know, all their crops. And it's just a devastating blow. And it's one of the things that God uses to free the Israelites. But later, he's going to allow that same locust to eat the Israelites' harvest. And then he's going to use this guy named Joel to go, you know all that stuff that your decisions, that you said you don't want God's provision, you don't want God's protection, you don't want to hear from him. You know how all of a sudden God just allowed the insects to do what it did? And Joel says this, but God is so good to you. He is so redemptive. He's going to restore to you what the locusts ate. That's the, that's the declaration. So he's, he's quoting this guy, and that's the thesis of his, his minor prophet book in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There's going to be this movement where people are going to start speaking this, right? I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So he's going, it's, Joel was saying, God is going to do what God's going to do, okay? So he's quoting this guy hundreds of years earlier. And everyone, hear me, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's going, it's really that simple. This isn't about you fixing yourself. It's just you're going, yep. I believe Jesus is Lord. Yep, I believe he paid the price for me. Yep, I believe he wants me to be a child of God. I believe that. I believe he finds great pleasure in me. Yep, I want to, I want to trust him with my life. It's really that simple. So he goes, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Guys, we're only 10 days removed from him going back to heaven. Right? You guys all know this. Man. You might want to hold on to your religion. You might want to hold on to and live in this fallen, broken world. Or you can go, maybe this is true. Maybe this is the way. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You got to see this. You got to see this. It's so important. I don't have a lot of time to cover it. But what he's showing us here is how this fallen state works. He's going, listen, what happened is Jesus showed up on the planet to go pay the price for you. And here's what's so crazy. You're so crazy and we're so broken and this world's so fallen. You had your own freedom in this, like we all do. But here's the thing about your freedom. Eventually, left to your own decisions and own devices, you will end up with your own demise, right? There's just this idea that you think, I need my freedom. Yep, you can have your freedom. But let me tell you where your freedom will end up if you keep making your own choices. It'll... End up in a place where you walk as far away from God as you possibly can. 
So the beauty of the gospel is he's going, no, no, you did this, but God knew you would do this and was orchestrating this to make these very bad decisions you made, to make this situation that you created, Josh, be a situation that God was going to make redemption happen in your brokenness and your fallenness, and God was working at it before you even got started. So you're going, I can't believe I did that. God will never, ever accept me. He's going, no, no, no. Before you ever started, whatever that was, he was already working in it. And so he's going, look, you think you did this. Yep, you made the choice, and yet God was using this choice. Like, we think that there's this crazy thing about God being, you know, the one who forces all things and working all things and providential in all things and our freedom, as soul freedom as opposites. They are overlaid on top of each other because God is bending and shaping all of our decisions, most of them bad, for our good and his glory. And watch what he says next. But God, so you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, he's not like us. You see, de death has its grips on us, but it's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not like us. He is God, and his spirit that he wants to give to us makes us not like that either. It means death can't have a grip on us either. David said about him, so now he's going to quote David, um, one of their heroes in the faith, this king from hundreds of years earlier. And so this is what David said. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in, also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So he's going, David, hundreds of years ago, said, death wouldn't ruin him either. Meaning this fallen nature is not where you have to, where you have to lay. And they're going, David was declaring that there was hope and restoration and redemption for him. There was this moment where he's going to be before God and things going to be perfect. And they're going, wait a second. David died. There's a tomb for David. So watch what, watch what, um, what Peter says here. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David did die, right? And was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. You're right, he was dead. By the way, Jesus doesn't have a tomb when you go and lay your flowers and cry about it because he came back to life for 2,000 years. It's not been this place of mourning because Jesus cleaned that up in three days, right? This is a place that we celebrate, not cry, right? But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place on his descendants, on, uh, one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. So he said there'd be a resurrection of the Messiah that would also be available to him and all the people who believe later, like us. And he was not, to, uh, not abandoned to the realm of the dead, um, nor did his body decay, because God had raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses to it. Exalted the right hand of God, he had received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and it's poured out what you now see in here. So let me tell you, hundreds of years God had been working out, even in David, and now all of a sudden you're getting the experience of that. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. So he's going, here's the deal. And what you'll see in this moment is, hey, David knew that God would protect him. He knew that his battle was not against flesh and blood. He knew that there was some spiritual force. Then he continues, says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. So he's going to talk to the Israelites and go, but this is what you need to hear. God had made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, meaning he is the boss and he is the plan and he is the Savior. If you want him to be Lord, want him to be boss, he is available to you. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, watch this, this is, I certainly hope you ask this question today. What shall we do? If this is true, if our world is broken 
in our church, absent Jesus, will never fix a thing. We'll not be able to do that. If this is the land that we have lived in forever, but if this is true, if this is really what we have access to, not in this theoretical, maybe one day we'll get to heaven, but I get access to that spirit today. If you're saying, if this is true, you're telling me that I can get this today. You're telling me I can have this today. And you're going, I'm so suspicious. Me too, right? You're telling me that's a possibility. What then shall we do? How do we get this? Do you want this? I want this. I want our church to have it. I want us to understand each other. I want us to care about each other. I want us to find unity and resolve. Don't you? Do you want this? So what should we do? 120 people, all sorts of languages, and they go, what should we do? Such a good question. Peter replied, repent. All of you, repent. Admit you're not right. Admit your ways are not right. Admit that the way you think is not the right way to think, and there's a better way to think, and it's surrendered to Jesus. Josh, repent. You are not in charge. You cannot be self-reliant. Church, repent. This is not your thing. It is not your image we're carrying. It is Jesus's. He's the one who said that the gates of hell would not overcome it. Right? It is Jesus. Repent and be baptized. Lean into that spirit. Come out of that water, right? Be filled with that, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You can be made right before him. And listen to this, and I don't think you believe it because it's so hard for me to believe it. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want this? Do you really want this? Do you want the Holy Spirit to come into your life and not just give you some power, but consume you with his love and help you understand what, how he feels about you? Help you know that he's pleased with you? Do you want that? Then it starts going, God, I'm so sorry for trying to be in charge. I'm so sorry for trying to make it my thing and my way. And then with many, uh, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And I just want to be really clear here. You want to know who he's calling? Not your neighbor, not your wife, not your kid. He's calling you. You're going, no, no, I didn't think that. That's not, no, I came here because I wanted to hear something. I wanted to pay attention. I wanted to know what's going on. I wanted, no, no, no. He's telling you that he's available to you and wants you to have his presence. He wants you to have his peace. He wants you to know that he's pleased with you and understand his purpose. He wants that for you. And then with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, and this is what he says. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Guys, you don't have to look far. We can look right inside of our church and go, man, we are broken. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. Hear me, this is not what saved them. That doesn't do it, but they did. They just had to jump in, and I'd go, first Sunday and Saturday, or second Sunday and Saturday of every month, we offer baptisms here. If that's something you're ready to jump in on, you can mark on the back of your bulletin. We'll follow up with you this week, but that's not what this is about. It's not about trying to convince you to get in water, Okay. And it says about 3,000 were added to the number daily. So here's what I understand this to say. The God of the universe, and the band's going to come up and lead us in this, is telling you, many of us have been walking in the slumber and the sleep for our entire life. Slumber and sleep for your entire life. Even for those of us that grew up in the church, we thought maybe this is the case, but he's going, no, no, there is this spirit you have access to, and it's me, and I want you to know my pleasure in you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song, and this song is literally that prayer, God, in our hearts, in our nation. God, would you just awaken the spirit? Like, this feels like it's just been swirling, right? For our nation, we saw these great awakenings in the early time, and it just feels like there's like this, this oppression. But above the oppression, this feels like this is just swirling, going, God, could your spirit be that real? Could it be that real that you could really just come and awaken our hearts and we could hear each other and know each other and love each other and forgive each other and care for each other? Could you do that? So I'm just going to give you some words here that we can just sing and go, God, would you, would you bring an awakening? Because hear me, it's not going to be because we're going to do it on our own. It's not the formula. 
It's not that. It's that God's spirit is going to make a decision to dwell with his people. And I think he wants to dwell with you. I think he wants to dwell with me. I think he wants to dwell with us. So could we ask God in our hearts, Lord, would you bring an awakening? So would you stand with me as we sing this song together? Thanks, guys.